So Vinyl Me Please just released the story of Quincy Jones vinyl box set. And this Motley crew here is going to guide you through each of the eight albums. I'm Alyssa Leon Smith, Vice President of Business at Quincy Jones Productions. I've been honored to work with Quincy for eight years now, and I can confirm he really, really is that dude. I'm Sonarin Glinton. I'm a podcast host and a producer. I'm a contributor to NPR's Planet Money, and I have spent a career covering the intersection of the culture and the economy. And I'm Justin Richmond, host of Broken Record and vice president of I Have No Business Being Here. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's really impossible to fully capture Quincy's legacy and his influence on pop culture, entertainment, music history, and beyond in a 30-minute episode. But we are going to try to do the best we can. So let's get right into it. So the seventh vinyl in the box set is Back on the Block which was released in 1989 and landed Quincy his first Grammy for an album under his own name at the age of 56. More specifically, it won seven Grammys, including Album of the Year. This album featured the likes of Ray Charles, Big Daddy Kane, Ella Fitzgerald, Herbie Hancock, the Brothers Johnson, Sarah Vaughn, Ice-T, and so many more incredible yet seemingly unrelated musicians. We can start really at any place we want in this album, but I want to start at Jazz Corner of the World. And the moment I heard him, I said, that's how music should sound. Have you guys ever just sat and listened to the lyrics? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. But tell me, what, what's, what stands out in the lyrics for you? It's wild to me that he has paired all of these various rappers and legendary jazz artists. My absolute favorite part is when Big Daddy Kane was introducing Sarah Vaughn. And then he just says, honey, you're on. I'm proud to present Devon Sassio, a.k.a. Sarah Vaughn. Honey, you're on. You know, it's just the funniest <laughs> thing. Like these rappers are on here and they're just saying, all right, honey, you're on. <laughs> it's Sarah Vaughn. I mean, it's funny to think about what it was like in the studio, first of all, when they were recording this. So that is, first and foremost, one of my favorite tracks on this album, simply because of how beautiful it it is to see these younger cats being paired with these older, really seasoned jazz pros. And the people on the album themselves were also learning about these older jazz cats because they hadn't really been exposed to it before. But Quincy really used this as a tool to bridge the gap of the generations. Yeah, I was in high school when this album came out. And my favorite song is the one that climbed the charts, I'll Be Good to You. I am from Chicago, so I have a very special love for Yvette, for Shaka Khan. Just by pairing Shaka Khan and Ray Charles, <laughs> you had me at that. Like, it's just like right there, it's almost like a Quincy Jones family reunion of this album. Yeah. Because I talked about in the late 50s, arranging some of Sarah Vaughn's, in my opinion, best long-playing albums. He had arranged the Basie Band with Ella, which is just like elemental. It's, it's almost like after honoring these girl singers, that's what they used to call them, Ella, Sarah, he does it yet again 30 years later. These are some of the great singers in their twilight. And you 
get to then have the opportunity to see these generations of people come together. I remember the VH1 video of Ray Charles. And now, I mean, like I, I could- it's so good. Every frame of that video is Quincy and Ray Charles dancing. That was a, a top video on VH1 and MTV at the time. So it was like, this is my thesis statement on hip hop as it enters Black music. Yeah. And, it, and he makes hits with it. And I think that all, almost everyone involved on either side understood that it was a landmark. I was reading an interview about, you know, half a year ago with Archie Shep, who's a jazz legend. And it was like the album irked him at the time. It irked him. And I love that Quincy, he's in his 50s and he's still able to cause mischief. He's still able to thumb his nose at the establishment. And in the jazz fast, establishment, by the, the way. jazz establishment. Fast forward 30 years later, Archie Shep's doing an album with his nephew, who's a rapper. So again, he's just always ahead of his time. He's always causing a stir and he never cares. He's always just following his muse. Following, I think he does, he's following his blink is what you say that he always says, right, Alyssa? Yeah, he got that from Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> <laughs> Got to follow your blink. I mean, Quincy teaches you that time and again. But I'd love to also just to talk about the album and just like the scope of it. You got Jesse Jackson <laughs> narrating yeah. segments. You have Albie Shore, Luther Vandross, Sarah Vaughn, as you said, George Benson. And it's an introduction of a 90s star, Tevin Campbell, yeah. who Quincy finds at 12, mm-hmm. as you say. Like, this is what's interesting to me. Who makes albums like this? Yeah. Right? Like, I like mean, that's what honestly, I would argue that Quincy pioneered the whole producer featuring artist type model that so many artists today are doing. Think about DJ, DJ Khaled. Khaled. Yeah. Yes. Think about Benny Blanco. All of these guys and, and females as well. I mean, there's so many of these models out there now that are successful But if you trace it back, I think this was really one of the first really, really successful type of albums that showcased that exact type of formula. One of the things that Quincy always points out when you bring up this album is that his 12-year-old grandson said the song he liked best was Birdland. And then he proceeded to ask Quincy, who are these people on the album? And that made him so happy because he was like, this is exactly what I wanted to achieve with this album is to get the younger generation involved with the older generation and get them to start asking questions about who are these people, why are they on this album, and then dive deeper into the hole of trying to figure out what their influence was. I was a teenager at the time, and I can tell you, it moved beyond not just jazz, but soul and R&B, but the young generation of Black artists that were kind of saying, like, no, we don't want to be establishment. We don't want to be like you. Kind of screw you for even looking that way, right? And when you think about Ella singing with Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald on an album with I'll Be Sure, like just, like you said, it's it, and the cause mischief, right? Because I'm, I'm telling you, in that barbershop on the South Side, they're like, what is he doing again? <laughs> a couple of years after Miles Davis does his album with Easy Mo B, a hip hop producer, producing the entire thing, Doobop. I mean, yes. so it's like the fact that Quincy is like ahead of Miles on this is like, it, you know, and, and I don't know Quincy loves and respects Miles, but just as a fan, as a spectator, it's like it's impressive to be ahead of Miles on anything, you know. 
I've gone down the rabbit hole of reading a bunch of interviews where people are saying rap isn't going to be anything. It's not here to stay. And he's talking about it in interviews from plenty of years before that, I think really stemming back from the Roots days when he was doing that whole score. So he really dove deep into where rap came from and the Mbangi and the Griots and South Africa. And then all of that history really informed his whole process. So this album is sort of the sum of all of that research that he's done. And then it also sort of marks the start of his really, really intense deep dive into hip hop culture and sort of being the face of that with Vibe magazine, which he created just a few years later after this album came out. And if you go down again, the rabbit hole, and I wish we had more time to dig into it here, but his whole mission was to allow these younger rappers to celebrate their culture and to express themselves. Because if you listen to the lyrics on Back on the Block, it's pretty rough. And it's against this really happy sounding track, but it's a really intense scenario that these rappers are speaking about. And he gives them that platform to do so and to also expose younger and older generations to that exact dialogue. He opens it up with this album and continues to talk about it throughout the Vibe days. If Back in the Black is around when I'm in high school, then Vibe sets the tone for me in the 90s and for a whole generation. If you think about his box set, he brings that all together. And it's it's like the the capstone project of smashing things up. And you and continues to embrace hip hop in like such beautiful ways, even just plucking Will Smith out of hip hop to put him on front of in, in, in everyone's home, right? Uh, on on NBC <laughs> and giving LL Cool J his show and like what was that 94, 95, just you know, four or five years later, the generosity of spirit to embrace this new art form find new talent again and give them ways to shine and let them know that they could shine in ways that they didn't even realize. You know, like the story of Will just at Quincy's house. Quincy knows he has this show in development and, you know, it's a a party with all these executives. And then Quincy pulling Will into the room and being like, you're going to audition for this show right now. And he said, what? What?" You know, and he's having to explain him what the show is. And and he's explaining him he's not an actor. And he's like, just go do the, you know, and it's like, well, Smith becomes the biggest movie star of the 90s. Even recently in 2018, Billboard published an article, and I want to read just a quote from it here. And they're talking about Vibe magazine. And it says, before top radio stations across the country branded themselves as a place for hip hop and R&B, before TV shows and films and commercials regularly reflected hip hop sensibilities, before mainstream publications regularly put people of color on their covers, Vibe launched with a confidence that all of those things would soon produce a new multicultural mainstream. So that was published, what, two years ago. So they're still talking about the effect that Vibe had. And Vibe really stemmed from this period of Quincy's life with Back on the Block. Yeah. And like how many Black writers and journalists got their start on Vibe magazine? This is sort of the apotheosis of an an artist, right? It's like, I can do whatever I want. This is what I'm going to do. And I find it interesting is that this is around the time where he starts to make actual money. <laughs> like, this is where after the hits of, you know, I mean, he wasn't doing too poorly, but as Frank Sinatra would say, TV money is real money. <laughs> like, that wasn't even like to be rewarded for this work, right? To be rewarded for being the house band for Black folks. That's what happens with this album. And it lasts. Alyssa, what song would you have to pick? 
there's a couple, but tomorrow, a better you, better me is a really important one, I think, because of the long lasting effect that it's had. I mean, Quincy actually did uh, an Arabic readaptation of this song in 2011. And today, 2021, 22, this time frame of life, it's actually being redone again. And they just announced it a couple weeks ago. So it's crazy to know that this one specific song from this album is still being remade in all of these different countries and different languages and benefiting various people of all different walks of life. So that one's really beautiful. And then I guess one that's kind of funny is Setembro because Quincy had a birthday party at his house a couple of years ago. And whenever he has events at his home, the speaker system will play his music on shuffle, right? Such a boss move. <laughs> Such a boss move. <laughs> so the music is on shuffle and, you know. What are we listening to? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Me. Which, which one? Which era? Exactly. And so the night was coming to an end and people were trickling out, but the music got stuck on September and it kept playing on repeat over and over again for probably 30 plus minutes. And we were all trying not to say anything about it, but we all were just like, oh my gosh, this one song, like we all love the song, but the fact that it just kept playing over and over again was hilarious to us. And so after that night, we were talking to each other saying, okay, we probably can't listen to September for another couple of days. The funny thing is about a week after that, Quincy gave me a gift for a special event. And when I opened the gift, it was a music box. It was like a jewelry box, right? I open it and then it was playing September <laughs> on repeat. So <laughs> that one is a personal favorite for me because it's just, it never gets old, even though it did get old in that moment. <laughs> also, that is another baller move. I will give you a music box with my music. Yeah, yeah. That's... <laughs> like, oh my God. Honestly, these are not right. What about you, Justin? I'm going to go jazz corner of the world, man. Big Daddy Kane and Kumo D trying to keep up with Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis and James Moody. Uh, you know, that's that's like you, Sarah Vaughn's on the track, as you alluded to earlier. Joe Zawinul. That's just what a service to uh, to the music community to, to put that together. Right. I mean, we really could go on all day here, but we do have to move on to Miles and Quincy live at Montreux, which I'm not mad at. So this is the last vinyl in the box set. And it was released in 1993, although it was recorded in 1991 at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland. After about 15 years of Quincy bugging Miles Davis to perform his genius collaborations that he did with the arranger Gil Evans in the 50s, this album captures what finally came from those years of request. From Birth of the Cool and Miles Ahead to Porgy and Bess and Sketches of Spain, this recording was the first and unfortunately last time that Miles and Quincy shared a live stage together. So this album really can't go wrong, but this one holds a very special place in my heart because Quincy goes to the Montreux Jazz Festival every year, and he has since then. So he's the global artist ambassador for the festival his company, which we work for, Quincy Jones Productions, we still help to book artists for this festival to this very day. So it's special to know that this was recorded and took place at this venue that we go to every single year when we could travel. So it's such a beautiful, beautiful memory of mine, and it does not get old. <laughs> this is an album that I'm so grateful exists because with Miles passing shortly after, 
just as a fan of Miles, one, the fact that he was able to, you know, this person who was just sort of fearless and forging ahead was able to one last time step back into into time and explore new again, the songs that really created his career. He had never reflected on any of his past music and his live performances, but he finally agreed to Quincy's requests. And it's been sort of wondered about in public voices whether or not he really knew he was dying and whether or not that was part of the reason why he went back to revisit this music. So it's special because him and Quincy had a really beautiful bond, but it seems as though it was his way of saying farewell. You know, I've never done this before, but here's my last chance to do it. And one of the great pieces of literature from this time is the autobiography of Miles Davis, which was written with Quincy Troop. And what you realize when you hear him talk about how he always said, you know, like, I don't go backwards, I only go forward, right? No one could get Miles to do his old things, right? Like, the death of Gil Evans doesn't get that to happen. All of these changes, it takes, I mean, one, if we didn't talk about the music at all, right, that Quincy Jones convinced Miles Davis to get on stage and play Miles Ahead and Summertime again. Yeah. When he was in a completely different place and world and also sort of, you know, after a divorce and like in this like weird space that Miles was in, but also I should say in another moment of ascendancy, it was like another kind of comeback for Miles. Even in this era, Miles rarely played songs live in a similar arrangement. I mean, try to find a version of So What? Anytime from 1959 through, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, that resembles anything off of Kinda Blue. This cat is a cat who never played anything the same way ever again. And, and he's doing it for Quincy. I love looking at the story of how their friendship evolved. Quincy met Miles Davis when he was 18 at the Downbeat Club. And there's actually a funny quotation in Quincy's autobiography. And something he always mentions is the fact that there was a guy that walked up behind him and said, I was getting down last night and I heard some young MFer with Lionel Hampton on the radio trying to sound like me talking about Quincy to him so that he would deliberately overhear and that was their first meeting ever. So there was this weird sort of air to that friendship and how it started. But then Quincy just knew this was his musical god and he didn't really care what he had to say. He just knew this was a genius and their friendship evolved into such a beautiful, beautiful friendship. And whether or not that was a joke from Miles or or pointed, the fact that they started out from that moment in the Downbeat Club when Quincy was 18 to being on stage together and also back on the block together and all these different projects that they did. So it's just such a beautiful moment to sort of hear that full circle moment with all the different emotions that any friendship can have, any mentorship can have, the ups and the downs, but they really landed on such a beautiful note. It's not always a smooth relationship. There's this interesting scene in Miles's book where Miles Davis was living across the hall from Diane Carroll and he got so mad at his wife because she said that Quincy was cute that they got into a fight. Like you think about the tension between these two musicians from 
in the Midwest, playing the same instrument, but going in just like such different. It just shows you how powerful music is because you can have so many ups and downs and personal lives and music can bring you together. And that's what they always would say. And they're very upfront about that in all of their writings. Yeah. I, I don't know. Whatever whatever you're feeling that day, if you put this record on, it's just, it's like a bomb, you know? It's really a bomb in the best way that music can be. This is after all of the work he did with Michael Jackson. So he's this huge name, obviously household and toured the world in every possible crevice you can think about. And then he returns to the Montreux Jazz Festival to do this live jazz recording. It really proves that he never, ever lost those roots, yeah. despite the fact that critics were saying he was a sellout or despite them saying that he's not a jazz cat anymore. He he really stuck to it. He does it on his own time. Yeah. The album covers of Back on the Block and this also sort of, in my mind, ring 90s to me, even though the the font is like that, the colors feel like so like 1991 i think the walk in space cover is my favorite and then this this is this is like my maybe like up there though with my second favorite i love the cover you know and it's funny it's like walking in space is like uh you know the beauty of quincy you know how, how, how handsome he is and then and this is the this is the the determination and and the menace and the, the menace and the fierceness of, of my house it's yeah. Does anyone have a favorite or what 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 would y'all's favorite track on this be? Well, yeah, it's like there's so many of them. I love that the end when they get to the music from Sketches of Spain, because I used to study to that album. Yeah. So that has a special place. Also, any v- version of Miles Ahead, I just that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, and I mean this might sound a bit cheesy, but I love the introductions because it's so real and raw. And at the same time, having been to this festival and witnessing the layout and ha- how everything looks and where people are standing and sitting, it's personal to know that this is where it happened because it's somewhat of a small venue, right? I mean, it's still thousands, but at the same time, in comparison to an arena, it's a small, intimate sort of setting. You know, as, as we round out this episode and this series, I guess, you know what I was wondering is like, I've been listening to the music in these eight albums, sometimes in like randomized ways or stuff like that. While you guys were preparing, was there a song that just sort of, you're like, now this is in my head or or like that that you rediscovered or have a couple? Street of Dreams was one that I hadn't really been hearing because I would always skip over that song and... I just, I love Street of Dreams, and that's from uh, the Sinatra album. I listen to this album now, the Miles album. Like I said, I think that so many of the renditions are better yeah. or just different, different enough, enough to, yeah. that it, it's, it's, it's like listening to them in a whole new way. But it's, it's not someone else doing Miles, but it's Miles in a different era as a different person doing Miles. And it's just, it's just, it's just gorgeous. I mean, his tone. It's different, but it's like I haven't heard Miles sound quite like this since then, you know. And it's 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 a matured version. It's like it's it's it really is like a singer who's sixty returning to do a song that she did when she was twenty, 
and just hearing it's it's like wow, I hear it sounds similar, but it's like you can hear the age and the gravitas in, in their voice, and it's like I can hear the gravitas in his trumpet. So it's like I don't. There are for me some better versions, but it, it's over and above. It's just it's just a it's a great listening experience. It really is for me. One of the ones that really stuck out to me out of all of them was the places you find love from back on the block, and. It's a six minute and 25 second song, so it's fairly long, but it's just so anthemic. And I think it's sort of a a precursor to We Are The World, right? And that sort of sound where you have all of these different artists on it and it's just so anthemic and big. So that was one that I had heard before, of course, but I don't think it stuck out to me as much as it did when I was doing this review. So I would have to say that one. Body Heat's been stuck in my head for a month. (laughs) <laughs> just a month straight. Just, oh, it's ridiculous. Morning till night. Yeah. I Not love a bad it. one to have stuck in your head, though. It's fantastic. I have to say, we're all lucky to have had the experience, one, of being able to have personal experiences with Quincy Jones. But as they say, the melody lingers on. We have this beautiful box set to listen to. I have a turntable, and I listened to a couple of these on it. But to listen to someone's work consistently like this, and to have it be so varied is the thing that it's like I I could easily listen to it because it was kind of all over the place. And when yeah. I hear a gospel tune, you never really got tired of it. No, nothing right? was ever like so oh, much it's different. Just the same types as the last of style. Thing. Yeah, no, so many different types of styles. That's the thing that I think is like really interesting because so many things are playlists and singles, and to sit in the world that an artist created or helped to create for a couple of hours. It's so crazy to me also how many landmark albums can a person have from so many different genres and you see it here from the sands to mantra. I mean, that is what's crazy from a kid who, you know, <laughs> born on the South side of Chicago <laughs> with not many prospects. What's your favorite mantra story? I mean, what, give me a sense of what mantra is like. Yes, there are plenty. <laughs> The first one is the fact that Quincy is, there is no better word to say, but he is the god of that festival. When you step on the grounds, everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, there is something that has to do with Quincy. There's a statue. There's a building dedicated to him. There are pictures of him and Miles Davis and Claude Knobs, the founder of the festival, in the restaurant called Funky Claude's. (laughs) So When you go in these restaurants, his pictures are all over the walls. And they even have Quincy's chicken named after him. So everything just lives and breathes Quincy. And you can't step foot anywhere with him without people just clamoring over him and trying to get an autograph or just a sight of him. But it's also a very respectful type of environment because everyone knows he just is Like we said, he is that dude, right? You cannot touch him there. And it's so funny too, because there's such a mix of ages at this festival. It's not just a straight ahead jazz festival. You know, they have pop artists there now and there's young fans, older fans, all types. And there was this one night where we're in this one room and it was getting really, really late and people were starting to filter out and similar stories to what both of you have experienced. You know, we're all sitting around or standing around, I should say, at a cocktail table. And Quincy just walks up and leans over on the cocktail table. And some people are just fascinated. How are you still up, man? And then after hours and hours of talking, 
all of the young people said, I have to go to bed. <laughs> so <laughs> he's standing there yeah. leaning with a popsicle. Like, why? It's early. And at this time, it was, <laughs> what, 5 a.m.? So it just really is such a beautiful time and memory, too, of those travels. And just to know that Quincy had been going there for decades and that this was really his home. And when you say standing there with a popsicle, I get the feeling that World War Three could be going on around Quincy. <laughs> and so long as he has those popsicles, he's all right. He's oh, cool. Yeah. One of the interesting things is seeing him talk to a young artist at a place like Montreux. I haven't been to Montreux, but, you know, the shed. It is as if no one exists besides that person. And I've saw dozens of those conversations. He says some of the same things, but it's like each of those artists needed to hear, you're great, you're okay, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And to watch that, and like I said, never did I go home after him. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a 40-something year age gap between us. But Quincy also, it's like, to me, what I, and what I've, I've observed and experienced is that you don't even have to be an artist. Like, it don't matter who you are, like What's how high you rank, how <laughs> low you rank in society or social status, whatever. It's like, if he's in the room with you, it's like you're one-on-one with them, you know? It could be 50 other people around when you're talking to them. It's like, you're just locked in. He's locked in. And he's he, one of those cats, man. It just has that, that spirit. It's a well, gift. Yeah, yeah, but when, I mean, you know, when you, that's when you realize at a place like Montreux or one of those things, right? It's like, you know, oh, this is why Frank Sinatra wanted to hang out with him. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is why yeah. you're like, you're yeah. like, oh, this creating the environment. It's, it's so hard to create an environment where artists feel comfortable. Right. And they can like express who they actually are. And beyond the writing the notes and conducting the band, that might actually be, in my opinion, like his actual genius. Yeah. It's like to create the spirit in the room where I feel comfortable stretching or letting go. And you hear that, or there's something about the Miles album that's like, no, no, I got you, brother. Right? Like that is essentially what this album is about. You are great. You are Miles Davis. We're gonna be, and you have to be on stage showing the world who you are, like you're okay. And that's sort of like, I think if in my imagination, this box set is kind of like that. It's the, ladies and gentlemen, here's the cultural minister of the United States yeah. for the last yeah. however many years. Tell me something he don't touch Yeah, in and this it, box set. It's so beautiful to hear Quincy say, my, my love. love, my brother, and one of my favorite musicians and idols, Miles Davis! You know, like that you can have these sorts of deep relationships with people over the decades in ups and downs. And, you know, the first time he met Miles, it might have been Miles being, you know, being Miles and saying, is this cat taking my style or whatever? But at the end of the day, it's, man, I got love for you, you know, and blows me away. It is really beautiful. And that I can say from personal experience is exactly who Quincy is, just a beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. There really is no other way to describe it. I don't think he would be in this business for as long as he has if he wasn't truly just a decent human being. You know what? Leave enough space for God to enter the room. That's it. That's it for me. That is a motto of mine. He said to me when I first met him, never be a prisoner of your dreams. 
Mm. Yeah. To this day, I think about that all the time. Because I don't think he said this. I know he said never be a prisoner of your dreams because I wrote it down. I imagine he said, I always thought it was going to be the world's greatest trumpeter, but I guess I never was. That puts it in context. If he had been the world's greatest virtuoso, blah, blah, blah. That might have been it. And that makes me think, like, what am I missing out on? Expand the world. What about you? Also? Oh, that's so deep. There's a couple. I'm sorry. I know I'm that person who can't yeah. choose. Yeah. But one of them is if people overestimate you, they get in your way. But if they underestimate you, they get out. I think that's such a perfect, perfect, right? Your I saw your eyes just <laughs> widen scenario. <laughs> it is. I know it's it's pretty intense. And that's the way he felt all of those years when he was underestimated. You know, people were just dismissive of him and they said, you're not going to be anything. And so he used that time of waiting to plan his next move. And instead of taking everything to heart, he really just worked hard. Wow. So much to learn from Quincy. <laughs> the fact that, you know, I'm 40 years younger, you know, and you all are more than that <laughs> than him, that the time that we've all had to actually spend with someone who's like a cultural icon. and it, But it makes me think, when have I had, as a Black man, someone of that much, like to get that much wisdom? And you can hear it in the the music. Like, like I said, every era from 19, from the late 50s through the early 90s. And not like, oh, I commented on the era. It's like I, I made the era. Yeah. <laughs> like Will Smith. Yeah. It's just like, I, you know, like Frank Sinatra, Will Smith, Michael Jackson. Exactly. It really doesn't end. And so the last quotation that I have is an ego is just an overdressed insecurity. Oh, yeah, I love that one. It's I love yep. that one. Enough said. This has really been a special journey. Uh, personally, I love vinyl itself. I have vinyl hanging on my walls. I don't know if that's sacrilegious, but I do have that. And there's something really special about reading the liner notes and holding it in your hands. So I'm excited for all of the box holders to listen through this podcast and follow along and listen to the music with hopefully a newfound perspective on some of this music and the influence that it's had. And for those of you who don't have the box set, you know, we're excited to welcome you in on this journey as well. And uh, if you're just joining us for this last episode, go back to the first one and meet us back there. And uh, yeah, we hope to uh, talk to you all again sometime soon. Peace. Peace.
Davis. Billy Garrett. Wally Tenderoni.